Thanks, Amy. Let's pray, shall we? And do keep that reading open as we're just uh, in the early stages of this series looking at Matthew's Gospel and these chapters over the next few weeks. Father God, thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus. Thank you that you called us together tonight as your people um, to seek you, to listen to you, to respond to you in praise and prayer. And may our hearts be open and our ears listening and our lives available to what you would say in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with the whole Brexit thing at the moment in our uh, political life as a country, uh, we're very conscious, aren't we, of the whole theme of, of leadership, of people that have a message they want to communicate to us or calling us to a way of action, to doing something. And the whole question of, you know, why should we believe you? Why would your cause that you're presenting me with be an attractive one to give myself to? Um, now, I'm not going to make any comment on the right answer with Brexit tonight. Who knows? Um, other than we must pray. But the gospel writers, and Matthew being one of them, they are writing to us because they believe that this person, Jesus, that they're presenting us with, is the most important person we could hear about. Um, he has the greatest cause for us to respond to uh, and actually a crucial step of actions for us to take if we accept him. And that's what we mean by this theme of discipleship that I mentioned earlier, to be a follower of Jesus. You know, who is this that's calling me to follow him? Why should I follow him? What does it look like if I do? Those are the three big questions, uh, actually in any gospel passage, but especially, really, in tonight's passage. Who is this that's calling me to follow him? Why should I do that? What would it look like to do so? Now, the who, we've begun to look at already in recent weeks. If you were in a Christmas carol service, you'd have probably heard parts of Matthew 1 and 2 read, the birth of Jesus, the visit of the wise men, and so on. And we've seen uh, in chapter 3, and earlier in chapter 4, Jesus being baptized, uh, and in that moment, God declared, this is my son. So there's a big answer. Who is this? It's God's son. But also, God used the language of, of his servant from the Old Testament, the one that would come to give his life as a ransom for many. So, son and servant of God, that's going on already. We saw last time that as God's faithful son, unlike any of us, Jesus faces human temptation uh, completely and yet resists it totally. We're all tempted, but Jesus alone survived temptation unscathed because he's God's son, because he's doing God's work. And we come tonight in this second half of chapter four to those three questions again. Who is this? Why should I listen to him? Why should I respond to him? And what would it look like if I did? And we begin really with the, a bit more of the who question. Uh, and what I'm calling a crucial moment. And the who Jesus is is tied up with the what is this moment that's just arrived, the crucial moment. If you look at that first little section, verse 12 to 16 there. Uh, the background, John the Baptist has been arrested by Herod. John the Baptist being Jesus' relative, the one that said at his baptism, um, this is God's son. And as John's arrested by this evil king, Herod, Jesus, we're told, withdraws to a place called Galilee. And Galilee is kind of Hicksville. It's kind of, you know, be careful, Richard, Great Yarmouth. (laughs) It's the back of beyond. 
Um, it is a busy place. It's got a, a big population, now, apparently over 200 villages, substantial, you know, 10,000 or so living in each one. So actually a good place in some ways for Jesus to begin his ministry. Uh, it was on, a, as, as you see there, the way of the sea. It was on a big trade route. So again, strategic in terms of lots of people that would hear about Jesus in Galilee. But it was seen by the respectable, respectable people as, as not the kind of place for a good Jew to live let alone for a Jewish rabbi to begin his ministry. And it's where Jesus chooses. It was in pagan hands for much of its history, uh, the kind of northern fringe of Israel, often invaded under the influence of Greek culture, which some Jewish culture saw as a dangerous thing. Uh, There were Gentiles, non-Jews, living there, even doing things like, in a very Norfolk thing, raising pigs, for goodness sake. Not very kosher. And yet, here's the crucial moment that comes in. The place that Jesus chooses to live is a fulfillment of the place that the Messiah said the Old Testament would come from. So his arrival in Galilee is a crucial moment. It's fulfillment of prophecy. It's God doing what he said he'd do, sending the Messiah through this land of Galilee. And Matthew helps us here, as he often does, by quoting from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah... Uh, that little bit in the middle of our reading there, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, uh, this place around the Sea of Galilee, the, the people living in darkness, on them a great light has dawned. And if you've been at a carol service recently, you might recognize those words from Isaiah 9. Pointing to the day when God would send his great king, his Messiah, uh, and the next few verses of Isaiah continue with those famous words, Uh, from our carol services of the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. This is him. Matthew's saying, it may sound unlikely that God would send his Messiah to Galilee, uh, but I believe, Matthew's saying, he has done so in Jesus' move to live there, and in so doing has brought a crucial moment, the fulfillment of prophecy. That this one, however unlikely that the Messiah would come from Great Yarmouth, that he would love a people such as this, that the rest of us look down on, that's what God is doing. Crucial moment. And that's very encouraging for us because in in, in one sense, we're all, aren't we, people from that kind of place. We're not by birth uh, at the heart of God's purposes, we think. We're not, most of us, Jewish. We're Gentiles, most of us, I'm sure. And we may feel far from God. And yet, in this crucial moment, God's come for us. Who is this? Well, this is the Messiah, says Matthew. And even where he's living is evidence for that. A crucial moment, a compelling message. Verse 17, he begins his public work here. And Matthew just puts it in one phrase to summarize the message of Jesus, repent, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's the compelling message. Repent is the first word, and repent certainly means a change of mind. It really means a a whole change of direction, a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. It's about my thinking, but also my actions that come from my new thinking. It's effectively saying, God's saying, Jesus saying to us, you're going the wrong way. You're going away from God instead of towards him. 
and your life is in great peril, both now and in eternity, if you don't turn around. It's a bit like we were driving around a German city a few years ago uh, in a hire car, and I turned right into a road, and, and I thought, this is strange. There seem to be these, these kind of rail tracks running down the middle of the road. Why well, well, they put a railway on, on the road? And then I looked up, and there was this great big fat 10-ton tram heading straight at me the other way. And I realized with a, a moment of horror, I was on a tram track, a very narrow tram track, heading towards an oncoming tram. And of course, the, the, the German driver in the tram was not too impressed with this tourist driving the wrong way down his tram track and was kind of hooting at me and telling me to get out of the way. And I had to do a quick reverse and turn around. That is repenting. It's not just saying, oh, I've got it all wrong. I feel really terrible about it. It's saying, I'm going to turn around and get out of here. It is as if, you know, the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus says, is coming. It's near because the king is coming. And to meet him, unless you're in his kingdom, is, is like meeting a juggernaut coming at you. And one day, when we meet him face to face in eternity, if we haven't found him before that moment, it really will be like a juggernaut hitting us. Repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. It's an urgent, isn't it? An urgent message. And it is about life change, not just about thought change or feelings change. It's about life change. There's a book by someone called Martin Goldsmith, an influential world missionary last century. He, he tells a story. He says, when my wife worked in North Sumatra, we were struck by the fact that the Christians there did not normally use the terms born again when speaking about Christians. They generally expressed the true faith in Jesus by talking about following him. I would ask, are you following the Lord, not just are you a Christian or are you born again? To follow Jesus for them stood in contrast with being what they called skin Christians. People who look outwardly quite Christian, but inwardly in their hearts may be quite pagan. Those who follow Jesus, he says, will firstly form a close relationship with him, then they will also obey him as Lord and King. And that was a, a quote on our sheet tonight, at the top of our sheets from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer, wasn't it, as well? That those who obey Jesus are those that believe in him, and those that believe in him are those that obey him. So that's the message, isn't it? A compelling message to repent, to get ready, to turn around, to see a change of life following from a change of heart, because the kingdom is near. It's a compelling message because his fame is spreading. And if you look at the last little section, verse 23, we'll come back to that middle one in a second, but that last section, 23 to 25, there are large crowds being drawn to this preacher, aren't there? They're coming from Galilee, but also from the Decapolis, a little bit further away, that's 10 cities of that area, from Jerusalem, and that's sort of 100 miles south, Judea, the area around Jerusalem, the region across the Jordan, and if you kind of look at the maps and plot some of this stuff, some of them are traveling from certainly Jerusalem to Galilee, 100 miles as the crow flies, but the route you'd probably take, more like 150 miles. Um, and it was a down and up again, an energetic route to go. And they didn't have Land Rovers. They were on foot, possibly on a donkey if you're lucky. More than that, if you look, why are they coming? Well, it says in verse 23 and 24, news about him spread all over Syria. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. 
These are not fit people coming, are they? they? They're, They're bringing with them, possibly carrying with them, some profoundly sick people. And they're coming a round trip of 300 miles. Now, that is a compelling message, isn't it, that's drawing them. And what is Jesus doing with the crowds that gather? Well, he's actually doing, isn't he, three things. Verse 23, he went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. So he's teaching the Jewish people about how the scriptures point to the coming kingdom of God. He's preaching, uh, you might translate that, proclaiming, publicizing the good news of the kingdom, that God's coming, and he's going to put wrongs right, bring forgiveness of sins, restore his people to himself, and reign over us. Good news of the kingdom. And then third, he's healing every disease and sickness among the people. Teaching, preaching, healing. And some of the crowds are coming, first of all, because of the healing, aren't they? Because they have an obvious need. They know that they hear that Jesus can fix... But as they come, he teaches about the kingdom. He preaches the good news of the kingdom, the compelling message of God's restored rule over us. So this, if you like, is the why, isn't it? Who is Jesus? He's the Messiah. He's the king. His kingdom's coming. Why should I respond to him? Well, because he's bringing the kingdom. He's putting things right. He can bring me back to God. He can ultimately put the whole world right. Rid us of evil, injustice, crime, sickness. The kingdom's coming. The effects of the fall, when we turned away from God and the world was wrecked as a result, they're one day going to be reversed. And salvation is being ushered in by the king. So that's the why, isn't it? There's a compelling message about the kingdom of God that invites us all to respond to it. And anyone here tonight, if, if you turned at the end of the service and said, well, how did you come to Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus? The Christians here will have an answer to that, won't we? We'll be able to say, and it won't just be, oh, I, you know, I just woke up one day and it felt like a good thing to do. We're going to be able to say, it's because I, I knew a Christian whose life was somehow attractive to me, or uh, I, I read a gospel, I went to a Bible study, and as the word of God, the good news of Jesus, the kingdom soaked my understanding and my life. I was brought to repentance and faith. I had my life turned round. That's why. That's why we open the Bible in our Sunday services, that the good news might be proclaimed. It's why we look at it in our small groups. It's why we look at it on Discover courses coming up next month. When we baptize and confirm people, what are we doing? Well, we're celebrating the power of the good news of the kingdom to change human lives. That this is the means God's given to bring people from death to life. And the water of baptism symbolizes that transformation. So, who is Jesus? He's the king. Why would I respond? Well, because this is the most important message, the compelling message of the kingdom that I could ever hear. But what am I to do? Well, we're going to see actually in coming weeks because... What's it look like to be a Christian? That's really the point of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 to 7. We'll start next week looking at that. It's the first of, if you are here a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this five sections of Jesus' teaching Matthew puts in his gospel. And this first one is right up front, as if to say, he's calling his people uh, to a new relationship with God, and this is the pattern of life that his followers will express. 
It's almost like a new set of Ten Commandments. This is what it looks like to know God. But he starts by recruiting a team to help with his kingdom mission. So what's it like to follow Jesus? Well, the first thing is, and it's there in our reading in verses 18 to 22, it's the mission. And it's a very clear mission. If you want um, a memorable way of thinking about tonight's talk, that's it, isn't it? You've got a compelling message. We saw the crucial moment. And you've got a clear mission for the follower of Jesus in those verses. So here, you see, in verse 18, Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee. Sure, he knows he's going to find there these fishermen. He almost certainly knows them already in person. He's a local after all. And he finds Simon and Andrew and James and John with their boats. And it just takes three words, come, follow me. Again, it's a great difference what it is to be a Christian. Someone that follows Jesus, that hears those words and responds. And they become disciples. That's where the disciple first comes from, the first followers of Jesus. But what he does next is to give a very clear job description, we might call it. What does it mean to follow Jesus? He says, well, this is it. I'm going to make you, verse 19, fishers of people. What is it that we do as disciples? Well, number one, we fish for people. That's our call. That's our mission. And it's a great little image, isn't it? Because throughout their working lives, these two pairs of brothers, they've been fishing. They get this image, don't they? And Jesus says, well, take what you've been doing and just transplant it into the work with people I'm going to give you. You're going to be there fishing for people, calling people, gathering people, hooking people in the nicest way to draw them into safety, into my kingdom. Fishers of people. They'll be catching, forgive the pun here, souls, not fish souls. S-O-L-E-S. S-O-U-S. S-O-U-L. Souls. Fishers of people. And that's a disciple of Jesus in a nutshell. That's our mission. That's our job description. And it's quite striking, isn't it? To be a follower of Jesus, therefore, it's not primarily about filling the church rotors. We so often think, well, that's being a keen Christian, isn't it? I'm, I'm on this rotor on that committee. No, says Jesus. Fishing for people, that's what you're here for. It's not even, you know, things like... Uh, finding Christian conferences to go to. You know, some people spend a lot of our, our year going to conferences and, and weekends away. Again, great, but that's not discipleship. Being a disciple is being a fisherman or a fisherwoman for Jesus. Getting out to the school where he's put you and starting a CU there so that others can hear about Jesus. Or in your workplace, that little Bible study, that, that three of you that get together once a week to pray... That's your fishing boat, isn't it? That's where he's put you. The street he's put you in, the neighbours that he's put you by, they're the fish, the people that he's calling us to reach out to with the good news of Jesus. Matthew Paris, uh, he's a journalist, he's no Christian. He wrote these very challenging words a few years ago to those who claim to follow Jesus. He said this, Friends, if I believe the Christian message, or even a tenth of it, I would drop my job, sell my house, throw away my possessions, leave my acquaintances, and set into all the world with a burning desire to know more, and when I'd found out more, 
to act upon it and tell others. How, he says, is it possible to be indifferent to this message? If you believe that in 30 or 20 or 10 years, perhaps even tomorrow, we shall be taken from this life and ushered into a new one whose nature will depend upon our obedience to God's will, far from being puzzled that Mormons or Adventists knock on my door, I'm unable to understand how anyone who believes what's written in the Bible should choose to spend the hours of their day in any other way. Isn't that extraordinary? Not a Christian. But he sees, doesn't he? He's got it. This is the mission. This is our definition as disciples. We're fishers. So I can ask you, and I'm beginning to kind of wrap up now, but can I ask you, how, if you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus, how can you explain what Jesus means to you, to someone at work or at school or at college this week, in no more than four or five sentences? Because that's almost certainly the only time people will give us. Can you do that? If you can't, go home tonight and just write that out. Have a go. Four or five sentences. What does Jesus mean to you? Or if you like, what is the good news of being a Christian, of the kingdom, in four or five sentences? A hundred words or so, no more. And if you are here tonight, you know, friends, and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, don't listen to me, but listen to the words of Jesus. Borrow a gospel from us. Take a Bible home. Read through Matthew's gospel. And if God is there, ask him to speak to you because these are the words that we've just seen bring people in our hearts from death to life, turn lives around, transform us. These words are life. And he is tonight, perhaps through this service, fishing for you, calling you home to himself to be redeemed by his death on the cross, to be set free from the power of our sins and to be given the hope, the confidence of life in eternity with him. We're going to share this communion in a few minutes tonight, this bread and this wine. Um, and those that are followers of Christ, we participate in this, don't we? Because it looks back, it reminds us of just who Jesus is, the Messiah, the king that's also God's son and God's servant, giving his life for us. It also, though, in the present it calls us to our mission, doesn't it? We're saying, aren't we? Lord, I want the power of your resurrection to be at work in my life tomorrow. I want to be a fisher in your strength. And it points to the future. If you like the, the big why. Why do we follow Christ? Well, because he's calling us to a kingdom, not just in this life, but in eternity, a feast, a banquet in his presence forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news which you proclaimed. That you've come to those that were in darkness to bring light. To those far from you to call us home. You've called to bring your kingdom, to put wrongs right. To forgive sins. To lift troubled hearts. 
to right injustices, to bring your reign on earth and in eternity. And we pray that you will, by your spirit, make us strong as your followers, that we may express our faith in what we do, starting with fishing for the people that you send us to this week. In Jesus' name, amen.